0: Hello, I hope that you are well, and uh, welcome to this, um, I could say new, but more of a re-released episode of that one time I dated a Mormon, Um, with it being Halloween in a week or so, and with the, for me, um, I, and hopefully you're like-minded, very excited, or very exciting news rather, of the release of the new Scream film next year and the new advert or trailer for it, rather, that was released this week, I thought that I would re-release the episode I did a couple of weeks ago um, about female characters in horror. Um, You may have already listened to it. If not, then this is another chance for you to access it. Um, I look at the role of feminism um, in horror films and how even though it might not necessarily be um, the the first genre of film to come to mind, when you think of feminism, actually, women are often portrayed to be incredibly strong and incredibly powerful in the horror genre. And in this episode, I concentrate mainly on the Scream franchise and the characters of um, Sydney Prescott, uh, portrayed by Neve Campbell, and also Gail Weathers and, and and a few others. Um, I also briefly talk about the issue of race in the Scream franchise, something that is highlighted again in a later episode when I talk about um allyship. And I also talk about the uh, Black to Front um day that happened on Channel Four about a month ago. So if you want to. Uh, listen to more about that than there are other episodes that you can pick up and follow as well. Um, for those who are just as excited about it as, as I am or not, um, it's worth getting excited about the release just for this line of absolutely iconic dialogue from um, everyone's favourite heroine, uh, Sydney, uh, I was going to say Sydney Campbell, then that's a mixture of the two, Sydney Prescott. Hello. It's happening. Three attacks so far. Do you have a gun? I'm a Sydney Prescott. Of course, I have a gun. Um, I mean, just what an incredible line of dialogue. You won't get that unless you are an absolute horror loser like I am. Um, as I know a number of you are, hopefully. But I thought it would make sense to, um, just out of my own kind of geek fandom, re release this episode. And also, you know, it is relevant in terms that it um is an episode that really looks at the role of women in a particular um aspect of media and as part of a wider conversation as well. So I hope that you um listen to the episode. I hope that you like it. If you um as always want to um, ask any questions the email address is that one time moment at one time podcast sorry I never get that right one time podcast at yahoo.com and finally I would just um Shout out um, if you are a fan of horror films, but particularly the Scream franchise of films. um, A brilliant book called um, It All Began With A Scream. Um, You can follow the the book on Instagram. You can find the book on Amazon. Um, I loved it. And it really looks at as well, the role of women in horror, the role of feminism in horror, and the role of race in horror as well. So it's a really, really interesting read. Hello. Hello. Yes. Who is this? Mm, Who are you trying to reach? What number is this? What number are you trying to reach? I don't know. Well, I think you have the wrong number. Do I? It happens. Take it easy. And with that, started the franchise of Scream. So um, I hope that you're well. I wanted to this week. Um, do a slightly different focus. The last two episodes I've done um, have been quite uh, serious, a little bit um, heavy hitting, hard going, looking at censorship and looking at uh, body image and things um, over the last couple of weeks. So today I wanted to obviously continue um, looking at um, things that interest me um, and things that I've written about before and I wanted to focus this week on women and on feminism still as I talk about a lot but um, this week um, on a little bit of a different slant and looking at women and feminism in horror and in slasher films. Um, I love horror films, I love films like Scream, I'm going to be talking about a lot about those films today, um, things like I Know It Did Last Summer, Halloween, anything like that I, I love. Um, I've grown up on them. And some of my, you know, most nostal- nostalgic um, memories in films are things like Scream, Scream 2, um, Buffy, you know, so um, the role of women in these films is really important. I'm going to be talking about that today. So I thought I would start off by doing a little quiz for you. Um, I've not done one of these for a while and then I'll give you the answers at the end of the episode. So um, as this is all about women in horror films, uh, do you know the name of the female protagonist, so the lead, in these horror or slasher films? So, number one, Psycho. Two, Aliens. Three, Halloween. Four, The Ring. So, the American remake in 2002 with Naomi Watts. And five, The Grudge. Again, the remake with Sam Michelle Gala. So, what are the female characters called in those five films and i'll give you the answers later so the reason that i decided to talk about this topic this week um so two things one um i don't know if you're aware but scream um five or it's just called scream and um, will be coming out in january of next year and it's fast approaching the 25th anniversary if you can believe that of the original scream that was released in 1996 So it's 25 years old this year which makes me feel like a, an old bastard but there we go um and the first reaction to the new film has been released so i'm going to be reading you the comments from that By the way, if you're not interested in horror films, then you should probably stop listening right now because this is what it's going to (laughs) be for the next half an hour or so. Um, So that was one. And then the second is um, I am really interested and I follow a lot of the work of Rose McGowan, who was in the first Scream film as Tatum O'Reilly. And I've read her book, Brave. Um, I've listened to the audiobook, I've listened to her album Planet Nine, Um, I've gone to see her talk, I saw her talk at Manchester Lowry when she's promoting her book Brave, which is just phenomenal, Just a fantastic speaker. Um, And I've recently just watched the Citizen Rose documentary, which was released um, at the same time as her book, and obviously kind of followed her progress through the Weinstein um. Controversy, for want of a better word, the Me Too movement, etc. And um, I, from reading around her again this week and watching that documentary, it just made me think about the role of women um, and men in the entertainment industry and then the genre that she primarily worked in in horror films or was first known for in horror films. Now, um, there's a little bit of information about Rose McGowan. Um, she was one of the first people to speak up about Harvey Weinstein. She doesn't use his name in interviews or um in the book. She actually calls him the monster because she doesn't want to say his name understandably. She talks in the book about how entrenched sexism and rape culture and misogyny is in Hollywood. Um, so talks about things like how when she was young in Hollywood, she was told by an agent that if she wasn't blonde, then directors wouldn't want to sleep with her and therefore she wouldn't get parts. Um, and quite interestingly, she was in the television show Charmed in between series. She dyed her hair orange. Um, and the producers of the television show went crazy with her because they thought that um, the audience wouldn't be able to recognise her in the first episode of the new series just because she dyed her hair. So she told the writers just to put something into the script that she did a spell and it went wrong and it exploded and turned her hair orange to explain this, you know, hugely vast change that meant audiences wouldn't be intelligent enough to know it's the same woman. But there we go. So she talks a lot about hair and it's... Um, one of the the kind of defining things that she did was to shave her hair off, to kind of turn her back on Hollywood. Um, But one of the things that got me thinking about um, women in horror is that she says that when she was in the film Scream, and she has quite an iconic death, she gets crushed in a a cat flap of a garage garage door, Um, she purposely wore a skirt that had lots of psychedelic Um, circles and colours on it because she knew that the camera would be pointed at her, um, her back and particularly her backside for a lot of her death scene. So she wanted something that would almost kind of take focus away from her physical body. And she says she did that on purpose so that you were looking more at the kind of weird patterns on the skirt than her body, if that makes sense. And I thought that was quite interesting. She says that she's always done little things like that so that um she wouldn't be you know overly sexualized Um, i'm just going to play a little clip of uh, rose mcgowan talking on the set of scream from well it is now 25 years ago just about her character Um, so this is a little interesting throwback for any of you scream fans really balance each other well because she's she's um i think sydney's pretty mellow and pretty laid back and and kind of probably would be really shy without Tatum always, like, pushing her and egging her on. I you know, I I imagine that, like, Tatum was probably always egging her on into her first experiences, you know, either sexual or what she does in this movie or just, you know, jumping, you know, across a bigger puddle or, I mean, it's just that their kind of relationship is their nature, you know. And the idea of sex and sexuality and relationships between women in um, horror films I'll be talking a little bit about later as well. So, just um, some information about um, Scream before I talk about the reaction to the new film. So, Scream, like I said, 25 years old. Halloween, if you can believe it, is 43 years old. It was released in 1978. And the new Scream film, uh, which does have the same um, three cast members in it, of neb campbell courtney cox and david arquette it'll be released next year and the first viewing of it has happened ahead of its kind of premiere and trailer release and stuff and one of the people who saw it did a little write-up so i'm just going to read that to you so again if you're not interested in scream then you probably would have turned off by now anyway so the person said and they're talking about the new scream release I'll just start off by saying this movie is absolutely phenomenal. All aspects of it are just brilliant. I can tell everybody involved has worked so hard to ensure that it won't disappoint. All of the new characters are so well built up and the returning characters are even stronger than they were before. There are two fantastic chase sequences that literally has your heart beating 10 to the dozen. There are so many twists and turns, it truly has you on the edge of your seat the whole way through. It's really intense. The kills in this one are insane. Ghostface is an animal and let me just say, he does get bored of his knife a few times. There are lots of nice references and callbacks to the original, some of which are very visual. Some of the callbacks make you think that it's the closing chapter of the franchise, but by the end you'll be left thinking, no, there's still more to come. The opening scene is marvellous. There's a coldness to it, similar to the originals, something that the other three films failed at. It's very similar to 1996's in many ways, but switches things up to give us something very different towards the end. This one also adopts an emotional tone with Sidney, Dewey and Gale, but with new characters such as Samantha and Tara. Sidney, Dewey and Gale have very big roles to play and aren't left out one bit. Um, Let me just assure you that if you're worried about Sydney, don't be. She's still very much the main character of the franchise. I'm going to say it right now and you can feel free to disagree with me when you see the movies for yourselves. But this Scream has the best finale in the entire franchise. It's simply great. That's all I have to say. So um, as a Vic Scream fan, that does make me feel um, positive about the new um, film coming up. Now, um, I think it's important when I'm looking at women um in horror, quite often horror, um, like comedy in a way, is thought of as being um like a bit of an easy um or throwaway genre that there's not much thought gone into. Um but hopefully as I'm talking around the issues today you'll realize that that's not necessarily the case. But of late um they have been getting more. Um, prestige in terms of awards as well. So I know awards aren't everything, but they do you know help put things on the map. So for example, um, Get Out, which you know has a male lead, but it is a black male lead in a horror film that was nominated for numerous Oscars a couple of years ago. Um, Screen Actors Guild. Um, Emily Blunt won for her role in A Quiet Place. Lupita Nyong'o is nominated for her role in Us, and then the Oscars. Um, horrors aren't usually awarded um there historically but to be fair silence of the lambs won a lot particularly for um jodie foster aliens um Sigena weaver was nominated and then even earlier than that carrie with the two actresses being nominated which was the first time a horror film had had any acting nominations so the prestige of them is um kind of on the rise is maybe a little bit um dramatic thing to say, but they I think they're more well thought of perhaps than they have been in the past in retrospectively, particularly looking at issues like how women are presented in horror films. They are um I think more retrospectively um respected for want of another word than than maybe they have been previously. So um there are understandably questions around the presentation of women in horror films um, and it's a question, you know, that maybe they're quite misogynistic and you know, women are kind of used as uh, as bait and um, films like Saw and Hostel have been called torture porn, so that, you know, it's almost like um, like sadistic pleasure in seeing particularly women being tortured in these films um, and quite often um, they follow some type of convention or tropes so quite often um you know the only girl that survives will be a virgin and if she loses her virginity that means that she's you know more likely to die she'll normally be blonde um it Nev Campbell says so Sydney in Scream even jokes that she doesn't watch the films because the girls are usually unintelligent. They run upstairs when they should be running out the door. They're big-breasted. They can't act. um. And that any girl who has drugs or drink throughout the film, then obviously they will die as well. And um, when Halloween was released, it kind of sparked a lot of talk and controversy around that because it was only... Um Jamie Lee Curtis's character that survived because she didn't drink, she didn't have sex. and so it was um almost as if it was taken a moralistic tone that only the virgin you know virginial perfect girl can survive this massacre the The writer and director of that John carpenters always denied that. He said that that's not something that that he did um knowingly, but it's something that um has been. Um, almost put down as a blueprint for women in horror films, since that only the virgin survives. Um, but since then, things, various films have challenged those things um, and those um, supposed tropes that women in horror films have to follow. So, looking at things like um, uh, Buffy, so obviously you know, I know that's a television show, but it was a, a female-led show where um, obviously, you know, it's, it's a woman that is powerful enough to take on all sorts of demons, um, male and female, um, and um, in interviews, quite often the, the cast and the crew say how a lot of the monsters were more metaphors for um, teenage struggles, um, the trauma of high school, that type of thing. In Nightmare on Elm Street, which is, again, quite an early iconic horror film, there's a lot of sexual imagery in there about um, women being preyed upon. So, for example, in one scene, um, there's a girl in uh, a woman in a bath and Frederick Krueger's hand comes up between her. She can't see this because she's kind of, you know, resting in the bath. And um, his hand comes up between her legs. Um, And there's a lot of, again, imagery around um, sexual purity and whether, um, you know, virgins live or die or survive in that in that world. In The Exorcist, it's quite interesting. The novel is also interesting in terms of this too, that um, there's a lot of quite uncomfortable sexuality in that film and almost as if the um, awakening of adolescence um, is kind of metaphored into almost being possessed by something, and that is something that is um, addressed again in Carrie, so a woman coming into her um, adolescence, her puberty, um, manifests itself in magical powers that are deemed to be evil and, you know, demon-possessed. And a more recent film called It Follows really interestingly looks at how um, sex and women and death and horror are um, combined. So here, um, a kind of evil entity, a spirit stalks you, um, and the entity is passed on from one person to another if you sleep with them. So it's almost like um, kind of putting a visual on the shame of women having sex and putting a visual on the shame of having an STD. Um, and being hunted down by the shame of a woman being sexual. That was a really interesting take on um, kind of the judgment that women follow for being sexual, particularly in horror films. Now, in the Scream franchise, and you've probably picked up by now that I am an absolute geek when it comes to, it comes to this. Um, just before I talk about the Scream films a little bit more... I'm just going to play you a clip, so um, this is from Scream 2, when Sydney, who thinks that she survived, you know, everything was sorted out at the end of Scream 1, she knows something is off. She knows that there have been some attacks in her local town, and she hears from the killer for the first time. Why don't you show your face? You fucking coward. My pleasure. Uh, apologies if you uh, weren't expecting to swear. I mean, to be fair, I swear all the time. Um, so, um, I've, I've watched the the Scream films numerous times. Um, like I said, they, they take me back to being, you know, 11, 12, 13 when I watched them. I'm underage. <laughs> For the first time. Uh, And, you know, obviously they were really scary the first time that I watched them and now I can just enjoy them and, you know, and not be scared, particularly when Drew Barrymore gets it in the opening scene. Um, The best thing, just as a side note, about watching particularly Scream with someone is if they've not seen it before and watching them watch the opening scene of Scream is just amazing. So, you know, if you want like a bit of a sadistic five minutes, grab someone who hasn't watched Scream watch the opening scene with them, it'll be very entertaining. So if we think about feminism in screen, first of all, so the overall kind of the, the kind of back plot with the idea that Sydney Prescott, her mother, was murdered the previous year um, and a year later there is a spate of uh, murders that, that happen again almost to the, the, the day of the anniversary. Now, the really interesting thing is that the, the, the character of Maureen Prescott, she, not only was she um raped and murdered, but in the town of Woodsboro where that happened, she is completely shamed. She is uh, slut-shamed for a, suppo- a supposed affair that she had. And the idea is quite open in in, you know, dialogue between people in the town Obviously, not with, with Sydney and her father and, and her immediate friends, but the idea that, you know, she deserved it, she had it coming to her, you know, she shouldn't have had an affair. So, you know, of course she got murdered. Um, and at one point, um, there's this scene where Sydney overhears people talking about how she's just like her mum, you know, she kind of, she'll do what her mum does, she's a slut just like her. And so it really preempted the debate that's happening a lot now. About shaming of victims, and you know, she has a short skirt, so she deserved it. She was drinking, so she deserved it. She went home with him, so she deserved it. And scream really looked at that—the idea that women were blamed for things that happened to them—and um, it really deals with misogyny. Um, and you know, you might be thinking, "Oh, it's just a stupid horror film. It doesn't have these layers." But when you look at the characterization in this script, um, it is a very mature story. Yes, it's done in a slasher and it's entertaining. But it does have these layers of really quite early feminism in it. So, if we think to the um, the two killers. So, plot spoiler, but hopefully you've seen it. So, you know what I'm on about. Um, Billy and Stu. Um, it's basically just two boys who hate women. And they are just killing women throughout the entire film. So... When Drew Barrymore gets it in the first 10 minutes, um, it's revealed later that she cheated or broke up with Stew, who turns out to be one of the killers. Um, Sydney is a target throughout the entire film because um, she won't sleep with Billy. Um, and it's almost like repressed sexuality that he wants to kill her for it. Um, Tatum is killed. She's very confident in her sexuality. She's the kind of antithesis of Sydney. She's killed, um, and the interesting thing about the trope of only virgin survive when Sydney does eventually sleep with her boyfriend, and again she's kind of forced into it. Um, I think she wants to prove that she trusts him, um, uh, but she does survive. Interestingly, that trope is is thrown away. But it's this idea of men attacking women for the the whole film. And it's interesting that by the end of the film, it's two women, primarily, Sydney and Gail, that win and survive. Um, In Scream 2, again, Sydney kind of stands up for herself. She... Turns her back on the typical college sorority house life. She's not interested in being part of sorority. She's quite happy to be independent on, on, on her own. She has a boyfriend, but doesn't really seem to be into it. It just seems to be more the social thing to do. Um, in the following two films, she's single. She doesn't need a man, you know, to to, to keep her safe. Um, And also interesting about Screen 2 is that it's comments on... Um, obviously women, but also on women of colour in horror films. And in the opening screen too, um, it's two black characters um, who get murdered in the opening scene. And they have an interesting discussion about how black characters never last very long in horror films. And um, the interesting thing is that the black female lead, who's Jada Pinkett um, at the time, Jada Pinkett Smith, um she's watching the horror film on screen which is the film version of the first film that's been turned into a book and a film you'll have fans know what I'm talking about um so she's a black woman watching a white horror film knowing that black people don't survive in horror films And then she gets killed as a black woman watching a white woman get killed on screen. It's all very involved and very interesting, very clever and knowing and very meta to use that word that I hate. But it's very clever, very knowing, and it plays with these conventions of of race and women very, very well. And then Scream 3, which gets a a bit of piss taken out of it because it's quite contrived. It's not the best, I'll be honest. But in terms of its social commentary, um, which I think was missed at the time, if you watch it now, you know, um, 21 years later when it was released in 2000, it completely predates the Me Too movement. So obviously the Me Too movement was sparked up with the, the, the accusations around Harvey Weinstein and then other men in the entertainment industry like Louis CK, Bill Cosby... Um, Kevin Spacey, etc. But in Scream 3, it goes back into the history of the mother, Maureen, who's already been slut-shamed for the fact that she was murdered and attacked in, in, you know, however many years ago. And it goes into the fact that she was a struggling actress in Hollywood. And at one point, there is a Hollywood um, director who's questioned about what happened to her And he says that she was one of many actresses who went to parties to meet men, to get roles, and how things got out of hand. One thing led to another and how um, she was attacked at a party. And it turns out that then um, she um, had a child. Um, And there's no um kind of shame in that there's no apology in that it seems to be an open secret that these kind of sex parties happen in hollywood where um, powerful men take advantage of young women to give them roles and that's part of the um kind of the revenge uh kind of mystery of, of the of the film and what's really interesting about that is that not only is that predating what eventually came out was happening in hollywood 17 years later but quite with an uncomfortable irony harvey weinstein produced all of the scream films so he was producing the film that was actually talking about what he himself was doing systematically almost like an epidemic that was happening in the hollywood industry um And particularly then when you think that Rose McGowan had a role in the first film, and then the third film talks about the industry that she said was incredibly sexualised and violent towards women. Um, It's quite an interesting um, layer to take into it. The third film as well deals with PTSD. So Sydney in the film, you know, it really looks at her trauma of having survived this violence at the hands of men. Um, so, you know, she has visions of her mother, she hears her mother's voice, but the interesting thing about women and how the relationship between women changes particularly between the two female leads, so Sydney and Gail, is in the first film, they hate each other. You know, Gail's very capitalistic. It's kind of cashing in on the, the murder in the town um, and her and Sydney, you know, kind of fight it out and punch each other at one point. And by the third film, because they both know what they've survived, they hug when they meet each other the first time. They fight on each other's behalf, so, You know, they save each other. So it's like an arc of women hating each other turning into women fighting for and surviving each other um, or helping each other su- to survive and in a lot and in the four films it's those two that are the clever the two clever um, characters they figure out who the, the killer is they you know physically strong to fight the the killer off and they're always the two standing over the dead body uh the killer at the end it's always them two left these two women And the idea of a final girl surviving is, um, again, like a trope of horror films, that there's always a girl left to survive at the end. Um, There was an article published called Watching Horror Films Can Empower Women, written by Eva Short in 2017. And she looked at the Gina Davis Institute, in America, which um, in the article it talks about how horror films can have a very positive effect on women and show women as being role models and that they're lead characters, they're strong, they stand up for themselves, they fight physically, verbally, mentally, they withstand and survive trauma time and time again, like the character of Sidney Prescott, um, and that of recent um, horror films have also cast um, a more diverse range of female leads in terms of ethnicity and sexuality. So Us with the pizza a younger, had a black lead. Um, Fear Street, um, which is recently been released on Netflix. is a trilogy of films and has um, a female lead of colour who is also uh, gay. So the kind of um, horror is a way for women to not only take control of of the screen, but also to become now a little bit more diverse in terms of what is being seen on the screen as well. Um, And then there was another article called Victims No More from 2017, and it talks about something called the Bechdel Test. Now, I have mentioned the Bechdel Test before, I believe, but if I haven't, the Bechdel Test is the um, notion that a film needs to have um, a scene where two women talk about something other than a man. Um, because in a lot of mainstream films, that's all that women seem to be concerned with, is their relationship with or to men. So, you know, films like He's Not Just Not That Into You, um, Sex in the City, you know, think about a lot of rom-coms, um, you know, Bridget Jones Diary, that type of thing. It's constantly kind of women falling after men or women against women to get men, whereas horror films, that that's not the case. Women aren't focused on relationships with men. Yes, there can be romantic interludes, and particularly in the first scream, it's the relationship between Sydney and her boyfriend and the, the trust between them, but um, the conversations are wider than that. So horror films quite frequently um, pass the Bechdel test because women talk about things that aren't just about men and they have a wider um, vocabulary, if that makes sense. Um, And they have a bigger life than just what their man is doing or what a girl is doing around their man or whatever. So, you know, particularly uh, Scream 3 and 4, there's no... um, Kind of visual sex on screen, even though Scream 3 has a lot about sex in the Hollywood industry, there's no kind of visual sex on the screen. It doesn't sell women in that way at all. Um, and then the more recent film, Under the Skin, with Scarlett Johansson, um, she plays a um, um, an alien who um, kind of preys on men. And that is like a completely female-led film. Really striking visuals, really quite uncomfortable viewing. Very um, quite David Lynch Twin Peaksy in terms of how it's presented on screen, um, and that's a really good representation of of a female lead, um, controlling men in a horror rather than rather than the other way around. Now, um, just carrying on this idea then of how horror is a place where women characters seem to be more prominent and stronger. Um, and have actually more speaking time than men in a lot a lot of cases which um, isn't the case in in many films at all so um the top grossing slasher films so films like scream um the top grossing slasher films are uh, halloween so from 2018 scream scream 2 scream 3 um, and then in the top 10 is also texas chainsaw massacre i know what you did last summer and Friday the 13th, the original. Now, what's really interesting about those films is all of them have female leads. So Jamie Lee Curtis, who was actually in her 60s um, when the most recent Halloween was released. Obviously, the Scream films have... Um, Nev Campbell, and I suppose you could also say that Courtney Cox is the second female lead. Um, I know what he did last summer has Jennifer Love Hewitt as the lead, who goes on to star in the sequel. And then Friday the 13th, even though it doesn't have a female lead, it is a female killer, um, which surprised audiences. So you can see how horror really leans towards putting women in the forefront of of, of the... um plot and in terms of dialogue um, and I've I've given information before about how in a lot of films women and particularly women of colour do not have the same amount of speaking roles as men do whereas in horror that's just not the case they actually have a much bigger place in um, in the plot Um, and then in terms of horror films that have been remade Again, they are horror films where women are center. So Prom Night was remade with a female lead. Um, Halloween has obviously been remade um, a number of times with a female lead, the Scream television show had a female lead, I know what you did last summer is due to have an, um, a TV release, I think on Amazon in the next month or so, and that will have a female lead again, When a Stranger Calls, a female lead, and even more recent things like on Netflix, so... The Haunting miniseries, The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor, both of those had a female lead. Um, and this is something that, um, you know, art- magazines have written articles about. So Glamour ran an article last year called 50 Movies That You Need To Watch. Um, it was called, sorry, 50 Movies With Women. That you need to watch at Halloween, and it mentions films like Scream and Us, obviously. And then the New York Times last year um wrote uh, released an article about the ten best female led horror films, one of them being Midsummer with oh what's her name? She was in Little Women. Um Oh it'll come to me. No, I've forgotten, I'll come back to it later. I've let myself down there not knowing the the girl's name. It'll come to me like in the middle of the night, I'll wake up and scream it. Um, so, um, you know, I like my, my facts. So as we are talking about Scream, obviously, um, here are a couple of little facts about the Scream, um, film and the Scream franchise. Um, so it was originally due to be called a scary movie. I think a lot of people know that, which was then turned into its own film and kind of spoof of, of horror films of that ilk, like I know it did last summer, etc. Um, but the most bizarre fact that I found was that Roger L. Jackson, who plays the voice of Ghostface, so the killer in Screams, he also provided the villain in the Powerpuff Girls. So quite an odd link there between Scream and the Powerpuff Girls, but there we go. Um, Courtney Cox um, really, she says, fought for the role of uh, Gail Weathers in Scream because she was um, beginning to beginning or she felt like she was going to be typecast as this kind of nice, neurotic, ditzy character from Friends, and she wrote a letter to Rez Craven, who was directing Scream and said that she could be a bitch and she wanted to prove that she could do something different. Um the principal of Woodsboro High in the first film is um I'm sure again people will know this is the 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 actor who played the Fonds in Happy Days. And if you look very closely um, in the scene where he's killed, he opens up a closet and the fans, his leather jacket is hanging in there. And um, it's believed that Scream is um, inspired by a true life story or true life murder. So um, a man called, known as the Gainesville Ripper, killed five students um, in 1990, um, which was thought to kind of be an inspiration behind the story behind the film and the house that's used in the very end of scream um, there was a rumor that a murder had actually happened there the year before Um in scream 2 originally um, Hallie was due to be the killer who was Sydney's friend in the film who would not only have been a female killer which kind of flips conventions on its head, even though there isn't, it does turn out that the mother is the killer by the end of the film. I'll come to that in a second. But it would have been a black female killer, which would have, um, you know, thrown conventions on its head in terms of it usually being um, a white male. And then, quite interestingly, the Scream franchise does things that um, kind of make links, very knowing links between it and other horror films. So the mother in Scream 2. Um, is called Mrs. Loomis. She's the mother of Billy Loomis, who was killed in the original Scream, out for revenge, particularly against Sydney. Um, And Loomis, the name, um, goes back to Halloween. Loomis is the name of the um, psychiatrist and doctor in Halloween. And then Scream 3, it was originally the killer, was meant to be the character of Audrey, who's played by Emily Mortimer, um, who turned out would have been an old classmate of Sydney, and wanted revenge for, you know, what she did to the town and the, the, the fact that the town still blames Sydney and her family for what happened there. And she would have orchestrated a group of teenagers to go and do the killings for her. Um, but after the shootings in Columbine, that um, story was scrapped because they were worried about um, kind of media violence being replicated in real life. Um, and then just one final fact that I found out was that um, Sydney was originally going to be played by, if you can believe this, Melissa Joan Hart from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I can't see that at all. Um, and Reese, Reese Witherspoon was offered it, but she turned it down because she didn't want to do a horror film. Um, now, I also feel um, that I can't talk about women in horror and um, the role of women in in uh, horror films, without looking at women in horror fiction as well. Um, I've mentioned um, the haunting of Hill House, for example, the television show. But horror in novel and in literature and fiction, again, more often than not, it is the woman who is either the main focus, um. Of a mystery, or is the, the the strong protagonist at the heart of the story? So, if we think about Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier, um, which is you've got a lot of gothic horror elements to it, and um, the nameless lead, because um, the lead isn't Rebecca. That's that's the the wife of of, of the husband. The nameless lead, she is at the centre of the mystery. She is the one that is haunted, is attacked. The ghost of of the of the previous wife, Rebecca, hangs over her. So again, it's um, you know, women at the front and centre of a horror story there. Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Again, it is a woman who is at this the center of getting to the mystery of a man and what he's done. And um, the sinister secrets that he keeps with the, you know, the mad woman in the attic. And that, again, kind of predates the idea of gaslighting women. Of women being mad, of being crazy, of being made to think that they're making things up. That they're, you know, hearing things, you know, misinterpreted stories. Um, and that's a really interesting take on women, Um standing up for themselves and not listening to a man. Um, Haunting of Hill House, um, again, has the female lead um, and her connection with um, ghosts and history and family and particularly the abuse and power of men. And then uh, What Have Happened to Baby Jane by Henry um, Farrell, the very iconic film with um, Bette Davis and Joan Crawford. Um, So two women again would pass the bechdel test um it's kind of their uh, kind of a psychological horror as one of the women descends into insanity um and their battle to survive with each other um even though they can't stand each other but they need each other they need each other to survive and that's a really interesting look at female characters and then you know, you can't look at women in horror without thinking about Stephen King. Carrie, Misery, Dolores Claiborne, all of these stories where women are strong and powerful and, um, you know, in control of, of of men and try to be in control of their own lives. Misery, yes, I know she's a little bit... Um, a little bit psycho, but she's, you know, she's strong and she's independent and she's funny and she's clever. And you won't want to get on the wrong side of her. Dolores Claiborne particularly is a masterpiece of a piece of writing of a character. It's phenomenal. And there you look at a woman who is, you know, uh, fighting for justice against the abuse of men and it's um you know again it's a psychological story it's a horror story it's a drama there's so much pathos in that story um with a woman's fight against domestic abuse so women in horror is not just um Restricted to film in the screen, it's very much so in literature as well. So, I would suggest you go if you haven't read in one of those novels, particularly Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, particularly Dolores Claiborne by Stephen King. So, going back to the little quiz that I did at the start of the episode, let's see if you uh, know the answers. So, can you name the female protagonist of these three, uh, five horror films? So there was Psycho, Aliens, Halloween, The Ring, and The Grudge. So in Psycho, the female protagonist is called Marion Crane, um, who obviously very famously and iconically dies in the shower. Aliens is Ripley, portrayed by Sigourney Weaver. Halloween, Lori Strode, portrayed by Jamie Lee Curtis, who I've mentioned. The Ring, the remake, um, the character is called Rachel. And finally, The Grudge, which was an interesting remake. It was an American remake, but they kept it in Japan, Tokyo. Um, Shogala betrays Karen. So um, as always, if you have any comments or if you have an interest in this particular issue of horror, women in horror, anything that you think that I could mention next time in terms of any of the characters, then by all means, let me know. It's a topic, you know, and, and, and a genre and an issue that I'm really interested in and I love. And I always finish off with one thing that I've done that week. Um, the fact that this is called One Time I Did a Mormon. The book, actually, there's a chapter in there about um, things that I did during uh, lockdowns keep busy. And I talk about the films that I, that I kind of nostalgically watch, Green being one of them. So one time I did it at the moment, one thing I've done this week, um, is I have been relearning uh, Moonlight Sonata by Beethoven on the piano, humble brag, um, and um, it's, it's, obviously it's really, really hard, really challenging. I'm about, I would say, maybe a bit more than three quarters of the way through, I've just got the last page in a bit to, to, to learn and play, but I've really enjoyed doing that, it's been nice getting back to playing that that piece of music. So, um, let me know if you have any follow-up thoughts about anything we've discussed today. And uh, thank you very much for listening. Have a good week.